Welcome to the Paradigms and Perspective Podcast. I am your host, Joe Simmons, and on this podcast, we talk about paradigms and perspectives and how people can achieve different results just by changing their paradigm and their perspectives. Let's get started with today's episode. What is the most important word in business? Is it HR, marketing, advertising, finance, technology, maybe innovation, sales, profit, or something else? What do you think the answer to that question is? Now, there is one important word that all of these have in common. Yeah, that's one word that HR, marketing, advertising, finance, technology, innovation, sales, and profit. They all have one word in common, and that word is culture. Culture is the most important word in business. Don't believe me? Look at what's going on here in the United States with the great resignation. 4.3 million employees have voluntarily quit their jobs. I'm going to say that one more time. 4.3 million employees have voluntarily quit their jobs. The key word being voluntarily. A recent survey just came out in 2021 revealed that 73% of the respondents in the survey are struggling to recruit and retain top talent. Now that we have established that culture is the most important word in business, let's go over the three company cultures. The first one is the internal culture. The second one is the external culture. And the third one is the consumption culture, which is based on the customer. So I'll say that one more time. The three company cultures are internal culture, external culture, and then the consumption culture, which is based on the consumer. Now let's go over each of these cultures really quick. Internal culture. Internal culture is inside the company. And it's primarily for the employees, board members, contract workers, which can be called insiders since they're on the inside of the company. The external culture is outside of the company. And these are for your vendors and partners. Or it could be other brands and companies. The consumption culture, which is based on the the consumer or client experience, This is culture for your customers and clients. The best way to start a consumption culture is you want to start with the following question. And this is more from a hospitality standpoint. How do we want the client or customer to experience the brand or the company? When a new CEO, manager, or leader is first appointed, the first thing they should do is tackle the culture. The first question they should ask is, What culture led to past results? Can the culture be improved? Now, from my personal opinion, having a background as a corporate trainer and also being a culture creator myself, I feel that 80% of cultures can be significantly improved. I'll say that one more time. Based on my experience, my research, and my personal opinion, I believe that 80% of companies' culture can be significantly improved. 
Now, 15% can be slightly improved and 5% can be incrementally improved. And the incrementally improved is because of the company having a great culture, but there's always room for improvement. So that's why there's 5% for incrementally improved. The next question that should be on their mind is, what is required to create and implement a new culture? Because it's one thing to look at past results, and you may think of, okay, well, what can we do to create a new culture? But the management, the leadership, and the CEO, they have to be dedicated to seeing, okay, what is actually required to implement this new culture? As we all know, talk is cheap. Less talking and more doing. The next question is, when is when is the deadline for the new culture? This will also help, too, of how important it is and what a priority creating this new culture would be for either the department, the division, or even the company as a whole. The biggest mistake a CEO, a manager, or a leader can do is to try to change the operations before you change anything else. I've seen this happen so many times on so many levels where, like I said, the CEO, the manager, or the leader, the first thing they is, okay, we got to come in, we got to change the operations. But there's already a culture that's already built. If you try to change the operations, and if you don't change the culture first, more than likely that culture and those employees are going to reject that operations because that new operation strategy or that new operation system that the manager, the leader, or the CEO wants to implement, it doesn't go in with the culture. It's just like having a computer. If you have a computer and you have a program that's set to a certain uh, standard, and if you try to introduce a new standard, but it doesn't fit within the software, it doesn't fit within the code, it doesn't fit within the origins of the creation of the code, it's not going to work. The computer is going to reject it. It's going to tell you, it's going to give you an error message or it's going to say incorrect code or invalid because that operating system does not recognize uh, that those new set of uh, characteristics. Culture... Is the difference maker between getting things done and asking the question, well, why didn't we achieve X goal? I'll say that one more time. Culture is the difference maker between getting things done and asking the question, well, why didn't we achieve X goal? And there's five benefits to having a great culture. There's vision, mission, standards, strategies, and habits. I'll repeat that one more time. There's five benefits to having a great culture, or there's five benefits to culture. There's vision, mission, standards, strategies, and habits. Now, if you have a great culture, then you'll really see the benefits of these. But if you have a bad or negative culture, you'll also see the negative benefits of these five corporate culture let's tackle the elephant in the room the most important culture that needs to be developed is the corporate culture i'm gonna say that one more time 
the most important culture that needs to be developed is the corporate culture. Why? Because the divisional cultures and the departmental cultures take their cues and their standards from the corporate culture. So, if the corporate culture is set low, then divisional culture is going to be set low, and the departmental culture is going to be set low. If the corporate culture is set high, then the divisional culture is going to be set high, and the departmental culture is going to be set high. Now, vision. What is the vision for the company? What do we see, and what does the future look like for the company? Mission. What is the purpose of the company? And I'm talking from the context excluding to make a profit or for monetary benefits. I say that one more time. What is the purpose of the company excluding to make a profit or for monetary benefits? Now, we all know that making money and making profit is important for the longevity of the business. But when I ask what is the purpose of the company, it's literally that. Why are we here? What do we do? And why is this mission so important to us? That's what I want to know. And like I said, besides to make money or to make a profit or any other monetary benefits. Now, if you have the right vision and the right mission, the money will come. I'll say that one more time. If you have the right vision and you have the right mission, the money will come. Now, if you still believe that, no, Joe, it's all about the money, okay, if it's all about the money, then let me ask you this. If it's all about the money, then why did so many companies go out of business during the pandemic? I mean, if money is the end-all, be-all, and that's the purpose of it, then what happened? I mean, it's all about the money, right? Not only that, the bigger issue is this. If it's all about the money and the whole sales cures everything, then why are companies having a hard time retaining talent? I'll say that one more time. If it's all about the money and sales cures everything, then why are companies having a hard time retaining talent? Don't worry. I'll wait. Now, after waiting, standards. What are our standards? What will we accept? What will we tolerate and what is unacceptable? There needs to be a clear distinction between what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. You have to give people clear parameters on what you will accept and what you will not accept. Strategies. What are the strategies? On top of that, are the strategies updated at least in regards to 2020? And we all know that's a resounding no. Because most companies, because it's not built into the culture, their strategies do not adjust for market conditions and it don't adjust for future outcomes. Most companies have strategies that are antiquated from when the time of incorporation of the business. Or, most companies have strategies that are probably at least 10 to 20 years old, at the bare minimum. And they're making a big, big 
big mistake. Habits. What are the consistent habits? What are the good habits? And what are the bad habits? Now, I have a recommendation. I feel that all companies should have a culture, compliance, and audit team. I'll say that one more time. All companies should have a culture, compliance, and audit team. Their main job is to enforce and upheld the corporate culture. I'll say that one more time. The culture, compliance, and audit team, their primary job is to enforce and upheld the corporate culture. There's no politics. This team has the free reign and jurisdiction to enforce the culture and disciplinary action on any employee or quote-unquote insider in the company. I'll say that one more time. There's no politics. This team has free reign and jurisdiction to enforce the culture and disciplinary action, if necessary, on any employee or insider. And this includes the CEO, the chairman, the chairwoman. There are no free passes for nobody. And this is part of the reason why a lot of cultures don't get fixed. It's because you have these executives especially the CEO or the chairman, sometimes the same person where they feel like they're above reproach. They have their own culture and they're excluded from the company culture. So the CEO does not want to hold everybody to the same standards. And then you have the executives have their own standards. This is also why there's so much division in companies. Most companies don't achieve maximum high performance in the companies because of culture. The culture is not set for high performance. And then you have these executives, and this is why they sit around. And like the question I asked before, well, why didn't we achieve this goal? Why did, didn't they become why people? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't this happen? Why did this happen? How did this happen? How did this mistake happen? It's all because of the culture. Because it's not built for high performance. So what do you expect? You can't expect to take a 12-hour plane flight on a half a tank of gas. You're not going to make the whole trip. You're going to have to stop. Then you can't land the plane and say, well, why are we stopping? It's because we don't have enough gas to make the trip. It's the same thing with a company. Why didn't we hit our goals? Well, did you check the culture? Culture? Yes, that's right, culture. You didn't check the culture. That's why. But Silicon Valley companies have figured this out. And culture has become a business community all in itself. This is why the companies in Silicon Valley are so important. The Silicon Valley companies as individual companies have figured out this the culture, but not only that, in the Silicon Valley area, they have a own culture between themselves in their business community as well. Culture should be the number one criteria for business longevity. If you have a good culture and you adapt the culture to the current times, there's a high probability that you'll have a long business longevity. 
it'll get to the point where you really don't even have to worry about it. Why? Because it would be built into the culture. It would be automatic. It's just like as human beings. After a while, once you learn how to walk and once you learn how to breathe on your own, you don't have to constantly every day, every second, every minute, okay, am I breathing? Am I breathing? Am I breathing? No, you breathe automatically. Just like when you learn how to walk, you walk automatically. You're a part of uh, what we call a neuroscience. You have automaticity. It's just automatic. You don't have to worry about it. And then there's this, then I'll finish this segment with there's this myth. Which is like I said earlier. If sales cures everything, then why do most businesses have a retention problem? I'm just, please, I'm waiting for somebody to answer that for me. I'm, I'm just waiting. If sales cures everything, why do most businesses have a retention problem? And that retention problem leads to a performance problem. When you have low retention, you're going to have low performance. We all know what happens when you have low performance. You have a high probability of going out of business. Divisional culture. A group culture that is independent of the corporate culture. As I mentioned in the beginning, the divisional culture takes its guidelines from the corporate culture. The division needs to have its own mission, just like the corporate collective culture has. What is the vision for the division instead of creating division inside the division? I'll say that one more time. What is the vision for the division instead of creating division inside the division? Joe, what are you talking about? Okay, here's the thing. Just like there's a corporate culture, there's a divisional culture. And multiple departments make up a division. If there's no vision on how that division is going to operate, how they're going to collaborate, and how everything is going to go, then you're going to have division, meaning that you're going to have a civil war. You're going to have departments within your division fighting with each other. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be challenges. They may even try to self-sabotage each other, and they're in the same division. I know this from personal experience. I've been at several companies where not only do the departments don't get along with each other inside a division, you got divisions within each other that don't get along with each other. Now, there's one thing to have um, camaraderie or even, you know, friendly competition between the divisions on trying to outperform each other. But at the same time, there should be not so much division within the company where basically you're trying to self-sabotage another division, another department, just so you can look good. And also, too, there needs to be a vision for the division. There needs to be a mission for the division. There need to be certain standards for this division. There need to be effective strategies for the division. And there also need to be productive habits for this division. Departmental culture or department culture. My favorite. As a catalyst and culture creator myself, I believe in the power of association. 
birds of a feather do flock together, and you shall hunt in your own group. Lions hunt with other lions. Wolves hunt with other wolves. The problem that we have is that most people are okay with being average. I'm going to say that one more time. Most people are okay with being average. And the reason being is because their paradigm is set to their survival paradigm. Which means that if anything naturally makes me uncomfortable, then I stay away from it. I don't want to push those boundaries. I just want to do something that's light and that's easy. But now we have a problem. You're not going to do that on my watch. If you're around me, you're not going to be average. I refuse to let you be average. And this is what led to the adversity that I face in my corporate career, which I'll talk about later in this episode. Now, there's a variety scale that goes from mediocre all the way to greatness. And you get to choose. Do you want to be average? Do you want to be mediocre? Do you want to be above average? Do you want to be great? Do you want to be a legend? The choice is totally up to you. Now, for me, I have a high-performance mindset. And that created a managerial dilemma for my management team. Because you had a group of individuals that were average. And then you had a group of high performers, which I was the leader of, in which we had high performance mindset. So the question is, which one is going to win? Is it going to be the average mindset? Or is it going to be the high performing mindset that will win this culture battle? But I got to the point that, as Gary Vee says, I was willing to die on my own sword. I was willing to accept any consequences for my behavior. And I just refused to accept mediocrity, even if management wanted to make everybody feel good. Results are results. Bottom line, not emotion. We need to be using logic. So I had three decisions I had to make, or that I could potentially make, should I say. I could either resign they could either have unfortunately terminate me or we have to negotiate because what is going on right now is currently not working. So, vision. We can be great. We can be legendary. We can be average. Or we can be mediocre. Mission. We should be focused as a group or we could be a bunch of individuals who collect a paycheck and go home. The choice is up to you. I prefer the former, not the latter. That's what I say. Standards. Do we set high standards? Or do we need direction from executive leadership to help us to create our standards. I'd rather be proactive and set the standards high than to have executive leadership always come to us and say, hey, this is what your parameters are. This is what you need to be doing. 
Not only that, I like to exceed expectations. I like to underpromise and overdeliver. I'll say that one more time. I like to underpromise and overdeliver. Not only that, standards are just based on your identity. That's all it is. It's just a reflection. But not only that, what is our identity? How do we see ourselves? Not only that, what is our image? How do we want to be perceived by others? Now, a lot of people may say, I don't care what other people think about me. We all do. Now, we may not make it a priority, but we're all conscious of our image, or at least we should be, on what other people are going to think. Strategies. Do we have the best strategies? And if we don't, do we seek them out? Habits. Do we have consistent, productive habits? Or do we have average, mediocre, excuse habits when we don't meet expectations? Now, let's talk about general management, meaning that the management level of most departments. This is what I have noticed. Division is usually average. They don't dream of nothing being. Like I said, the vision is usually low. The bar is set so, so low. The mission. We just need to complete the task on or before the deadline. That's a terrible strategy. That's a terrible way of thinking, in my opinion. But that's usually the, the mission of most management teams. It's just, hey, guys and girls. We need to complete this task, and we need to do it either on or before the deadline. Standards, they're usually set average. Why? Because you want everybody to meet them. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to deal with conflict. You want to make people feel good. So let's go ahead and set it low. We don't want to overwhelm people. We really don't want to overwhelm people. We don't want to scare them off. Strategies. Most strategies are not strategic. I mean, the word strategy or strategic is in the word strategies. But they're not congruent at all. That's what I don't understand. How are we going to have strategies and the strategies are not even strategic? They're basic. They're average at best. Executive leadership tends to focus too much on systems and not enough on strategies that wind up producing poor or low performance based on the execution of these systematic strategies. I'll say that one more time. Executive leadership tends to focus on systems, not strategies, that produce poor or low performance based on the execution of these systematic strategies. Now you may say, Joe, what is the root cause of why strategies or what is the root cause of poor performance? The root cause of poor performance is training and development is poor, lackluster, and terrible. I'll say that one more time. The root cause that most companies have is when it comes to their training and development 
Reason being is because their training development programs are poor, lackluster, and terrible. This is why I take so much pride in being a corporate trainer because I saw so much training materials and training strategies and systems that were so poor it was it was asinine. I just couldn't believe it. And to prove my point, poor, lackluster, and terrible training programs cost U.S. companies $550 billion annually. I'm going to say that one more time. Poor, lackluster, and terrible training and development programs cost businesses $550 billion Every single year. It is ridiculous. But you think these companies would try to fix their training development programs. And they don't. It's just a facade. But the reason why they don't do it is because, number one, they're afraid of, they they have the opposite idea of retention. Well, if we train them, they're going to want, they're going to want, they're going to want, yeah, if we train them, then they'll, they'll take that training and go somewhere else. Or the second fair title is if we train them, we have to pay them more money. And they want to keep the budgets low so everybody can get their bonuses. But here's the thing. If you train them and you do pay them, you'll have a higher retention rate. Not only that, you'll make more money. These $550 billion that the U.S. economy is missing out on from productivity. You guys have more money. It all comes down to a matter of mindset. Now, a 2020 Gallup poll from June reported that 20% of employees are productive at work. I'm going to say that one more time. A Gallup poll from 2021 June stated that 20% of employees are productive at work and 80% of poor productivity is due to poor management. I'm going to say that also one more time. 80% of poor productivity is due to poor management. And why is the management poor? It's because the Department of Culture is poor. Why is the Department of Culture poor? It's because the Divisional Culture is poor. And why is the Divisional Culture poor? It's because the Corporate Culture is poor. That's why it is poor productivity in these companies. Habits. Don't call people out on their bad habits. Because of sympathy and empathy, let's get them the benefit of the doubt. And here's the news flash. Entitlement is not helping anybody when you do this. All you're doing is rewarding bad behavior. That was another part of adversity that I faced. Because I would call people out on their poor habits. They didn't like that. But we'll continue that later. Fire chief culture. So, because I created my own culture, and because I got so good at solving problems, 
They called me the fire chief, and I took pride in being the fire chief. Now, it was a blessing and a curse, as I've been talking to you throughout this podcast episode, because when you are the fire chief, you're going to deal with adversity. And you're going to deal with a lot of adversity, especially from your colleagues. But here's my culture, my vision. We're a championship team. We're going to be the number one department in our building. We're going to set out to be the number one department in the division. And we're going to set out to be the number one department in the entire company. I like to set the goals high. And sometimes it's not even about actually hitting the goal. Sometimes it's just about having a high standard to continue to push you to grow so that you don't get comfortable. And sometimes you set the standard so high, you may not hit it exactly, but even if you fall down a little bit, you still outproduce everybody else because they don't have that vision. Mission. My mission was to get the team to high performance by any means necessary. You don't have to like me. But when you at work, I want your best. I'm going to say that again. My mission was to get the team to high performance by any means necessary. You ain't got to like me. But when you at work, I want your best. Rest in peace to the late, great Kobe Bryant. As he used to tell all the incoming Lakers, look, you ain't got to like me. But I'm going to make you a champion. We're a championship team. And this is how champions do things. So, if you want to be a champion, you can stay. If you don't want a champion, you can leave. But I guarantee you'll regret it. Standards. I require a lot. And energy is contagious by association. But I require more from myself than I will from you. I'm going to say that again. Standards. I require a lot. Energy is contagious by association. I require more from myself than I do from you. Meaning that whatever I require from you, I'm willing to do myself plus more. I'm not going to have you do something. I'm not going to require something to you. And I'm not going to do it myself. And that's where a lot of leaders go wrong. They set higher requirements from the people around them or from their subordinates, but they don't have high standards for themselves. Then you become a hypocrite. This is another reason why 80% of poor productivity is from poor management. Because usually the manager themselves have low standards, but they want to have higher standards for the team than they do for themselves. Strategies. 90% of the time, we've had the best strategies in our department. Why? Because I would personally go out and get the best strategies because I want the best execution. I'm going to say that again. 90% of the time, we had the best strategies. I would go out and get the best strategies because I want the best execution. So either I had the strategies myself or, like I said, I went out and got them. Because I want the best execution. I don't want there to be no excuses. Oh, well, we couldn't execute because we didn't have the best strategies. Or we didn't. No. Screw that. If we, Like I said, we're a championship team. 
what champions do is they go out and get the best knowledge and they get the best strategy so they can execute. So they can become champions. Not only that, habits. My job was to help others produce high-performing habits so that they create a routine, so that it be automaticity. Not only that, basically, I was cloning myself. I had a cloning process. People that was a part of my high-performance group, I created little mini Joes. I created a clone of myself. I wanted to clone myself so that if I was out of the office or if I was unable to handle a certain situation, then one of my mini-me's can handle that for the department as a whole. So, yes, that was my philosophy on habits. Create high-performing habits in others to clone myself so that as a team, as a collective, we get stuff done. Not only that, like they say in sports, the name on the front of the jersey is greater than the name on the back of the jersey. Say that one more time. The name on the front of the jersey is greater than the name on the back of the jersey. Not only that, I had my 90-day high productivity accelerator. And by having that, that allowed me to be the number one trainer in my department. I became the number one trainer in the division. And I also became the number one trainer in the whole company of over 10,000 employees. Now, you may say, okay, well, what is the 90-day high productivity accelerator? Basically, what it was is I had a system, or should I say a a strategy system, which was, was a system, but it was more based on strategies and habits, in which I would take employees from their first 90 days to outproducing veterans on the team that have three or five years of experience. I'll say that one more time. I had people that were starting in the department their first 90 days and they was out producing people that had been in the same department for three or five years. Now, management was puzzled because they trying to figure out, okay, how do we have employees that are on probation out producing seasoned and veteran employees in this department something has to be wrong but then when after a while they start asking these newbies okay well who's your trainer joe who's your trainer joe then they start putting two and two together they was like oh that's what he did yeah that's exactly what they did but you think would management come to me and try to train everybody like that? No. Because they still had this caudal culture, which I'll talk about in the upcoming segment about how this caudal culture caused more damage to our department than good. Now, of course, there's always going to be adversity and there's always going to be pushback. That fire chief culture that I just finished talking about and that adversity with my colleagues that I talked about in the previous segments, this is a segment where I talk about the adversity with my colleagues. So, my vision, too ambitious. My mission, too ambitious. 
my standards too high, my strategies was too great, and my habits were too demanding. So, my colleagues came up with a plan. They reported me to management, and they tried to paint the narrative that I was ruining this caudal culture that was created by management. Can you actually believe it? Now that I look back on it, I can't believe it. So, I had a meet with management, and I was given a slap on the wrist. Now, management didn't want to address the coddling we had in the department. They treated them like babies, so they act like babies. Management wanted me to turn it down a little bit, the intensity. Instead, I turned it off. I'm going to say that one more time. Management solution for this meeting that I had with them, which was a bunch of BS, they said, Joe, um, you take your job too seriously. And I was reported from a couple of colleagues that said that I take my job too seriously. I'm too intense. I shouldn't take my job too so seriously. So they said, hey, look, we need you to turn it down a little bit. So I said, okay. All right, I'll do that. Once I closed the door and I left that room, I said, all right. They want me to turn it down. I got one even better. I'm going to turn it off. So I told my uh, immediate smaller team that reported to me, I said, hey, effective immediately, this is what's going down. And they was like, for real? I'm like, for real. I'm like, it start effective immediately. No more additional trainings. No more strategy sessions. Okay, y'all want to report me to management? Y'all got a problem where I do stuff? Fine. You want to play that game? Let's go. So now... They had to go see management for everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And I told them, I'm only available for real emergencies. And when I say real emergencies, I mean real emergencies. Meaning that if I don't hear from management that this is an executive escalation or something from a director level or above, you handle that. That's your emergency. Your emergencies are no longer mine. So don't come to me to help you put out your own fires. You go put out your own fires. So I'm not a team player. Okay. I'm going to show you that I'm not a team player. I was helping too much. Now I'm helping too little. Take your pick. But y'all said I wasn't a team player. So I gave you not being a team player. Not only that, we had the worst audit failure in department history. Yeah, that's right. We had the worst department audit failure in history. Well, you can see how that went with management. They were not happy at all. 
And I'm pretty sure they probably thought that maybe Joe was right, but they wasn't going to tell me that. They wasn't going to apologize. They was going to sweep that under the rug and keep it moving. So what wound up happening? We had to negotiate a new culture. It was slightly above average. And then it was adjusted as necessary. So what I mean by that is, is that when I say adjusted as necessary, there'll be certain times when management will raise the standards and raise the strategies. And there'll be other times when they'll lower the standards and lower the strategies, which I didn't fully get. But hey, I'm adaptable, so I'm going to go ahead and go along with it. But my high performers who was in my group, they they received benefits in comparison to these coddlers. Number one, we got bonuses when the coddlers didn't. Number two, we got raises when the coddlers didn't. Three, we got award recognition when the callers didn't. And most importantly, we got overtime preferences when the callers didn't. So they always complained about why they're not making enough money. Well, there was overtime opportunities. But you didn't get any. Why? Because you was a caller. Because you was a low performer. And management had to justify the overtime spend. And we couldn't have no dead weight when it comes to overtime. Let alone, you barely know how to do your regular work. External culture. This is in regards to vendor and partnership agreements. What is the vision for the vendor agreement? What is the vision for the partnership agreement? The vendor and the company, the partner and the company, need to have a vision that is in alignment. What is the mission of those agreements? Should it be to help the company best serve its clients and customers? Should it be not to find the cheapest vendor or partner? Or should it be to find a vendor or partner that will help the company make the most money but not negatively Impact the customer or client experience. Standards. What are the standards that each party is going to hold each other to? The vendor is going to hold the company to certain standards. The partners are going to hold the company to certain standards. The company should hold the vendor to certain standards. And the company should also hold the partner to certain standards. Strategies. How do the vendor and the partner like to strategize and execute on their commitments? Communication with the vendor and the partner is very important. Do the vendors and the partners have good habits or do they have bad habits? If they have bad habits, then the vendors and the partners need to be replaced. If they also have bad habits, then you just need to also allow the contracts and the agreements to lapse and not renew. But if the vendor or the partner has good habits, 
then maybe you can provide them with additional business or additional opportunities, a.k.a. additional revenue to their company for past performance that has been great. Consumption culture, which is based on the customer. Vision. What is the vision for the client experience? What is the optimal experience that we want our clients and customers to receive? We should want to wow our clients and customers. What is the best possible experience we can give them right now at the current moment? Not enough time is spent strategizing this wildful experience. Consumer culture should be number two. And company culture should be number one. I'll say that one more time. Consumer culture should be number two. And company culture should be number one. Why? If you take care of your employees, they will take care of your customers. I'll say that one more time. If you take care of your employees, they will take care of your customers. Chick-fil-A is a prime example of this. I wrote an article on LinkedIn talking about how Chick-fil-A created a billion-dollar business that so many of us love. This is the reason why usually you have a 9 out of 10 great experience when you go to Chick-fil-A. It goes like this. When you take care of your employees, they take care of your customers. When you take care of your customers, you have more cash flow. When you have more cash flow, it accumulates into capital. Once you have capital, then you can reinvest back into the business, and then you repeat the cycle. So I'll say that one more time. You take care of your employees, they take care of your customers. You take care of your customers, they produce more cash flow. If you have more cash flow, you let it accumulate and it becomes capital. Once you have capital then you can have that for reinvestment. Once you have reinvestment, you repeat the process. I'll say this, and I'll say this again. And I know I've said this on a a lot of podcasts, but I'll keep saying it because it's so profound. People are like flowers. If you water them, they will flourish. Billionaire Richard Branson. I'll say that one more time. People are like flowers. If you water them, they will flourish. Billionaire Richard Branson. And that's my favorite Richard Branson quote. And like I said, I know I repeat that a lot, but it's so important. There's a very important lesson in the wisdom from Richard Branson. Hence, the reason why he's a billionaire and has over... 300 companies with 300 different CEOs, but they're all a part of one corporate culture for the Virgin Group. Mission. The mission should be to provide the best client and customer experience consistently. I'm going to say that one more time. The mission of the consumer culture should be to provide the best client and customer experience consistency. This is a recommendation for every company. 
You want to do it consistently. It's not that, okay, well, on Mondays, we're going to provide our best client experience. And then you got to wait again until Friday to receive that same, that same experience. That's not what you should be doing. It should be every single day or every time you interact with a customer, that is when you should provide the best client experience that you possibly can at that moment. Also, the law of reciprocity. If you give people what they want, they will give you what you want. Zig Ziglar. I'll say that one more time. If you give people what they want, they will give you what you want. Zig Ziglar. So, since I said that everything starts with the employees, let's start with the employees. This is what the employees want. They want to work on a great team. They want a great culture. And they want great career opportunities. When the employees get that, they provide a great client and customer experience. And when that happens, similar to the formula that I presented earlier, that's going to lead more revenue to the company. More revenue leads to more cash flow. More cash flow leads to more profit. More profit leads to more capital, and more capital leads to resource investment. So, I'll say that again. Employees want to work on great teams, they want a great culture, and they want great career opportunities. When the employer provides that, they're going to provide a great client customer experience, which is going to lead to more revenue, more cash flow, more profit, more capital, and then that's going to lead to more resource investment. Standards. Have high standards. Go the extra mile. Just like Rich Carlton and a lot of luxury brands, go the extra mile. That's also a reason why luxury brands are able to charge luxury prices because they go the extra mile. They don't cut corners. They're not average. That's how they separate themselves and create longevity in the marketplace. Strategize. We got to spend more time strategizing. Not only that, we need to strategize for solutions when things go wrong. Oftentimes, things are neglected or it's put on a low priority status which is a big mistake, and it overall affects the client and customer experience. So what exactly does that mean? You kind of know the process of how you want things to go. But sometimes you have to be more resourceful than you have resources. But we don't strategize for this. We don't train for this. We don't role play for this. So if a situation happens and you don't strategize for it, you don't have the training, you're unprepared for it, or the department or the leaders don't make it a top priority to go over this, when that person does interact with a client or with a customer, it can affect the overall experience in a negative way. Bad habits produce bad performance. 
Good habits produce good performance, and great habits produce great performance. Say that one more time. Bad habits produce bad performance. Good habits produce good performance, and great habits produce great performance. Clients and customers are always paying attention, whether they say something or not. Now, my final words. The culture that is created affects the customers. And the customers affect the cash flow, and the cash flow affects the capital, and then it affects the reinvestment. And as we all know, that reinvestment leads to the success and longevity of every business. Thank you for listening to the Paradise and Perspectives podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast. We really hope that you got some value out of this podcast and that this podcast will assist with you changing your paradigm and changing your perspective so that you can live the life that you was meant to live. And we look forward to seeing you in another podcast episode. Thank you and have a good day.